I wanted to do something before we started our worship to explain what's going to happen today because it's going to be a little different than normal. And, uh, but that's okay. Uh, every once in a while, we like to say around here that we are practicing. We're practicing church. We're practicing communion. We're practicing trying to understand what God is doing, what he was doing, and what he is doing now. Uh, and the more we, I think, try different things, the more we understand, I believe. And so for the last seven weeks or so, we've been going through the Psalms of Ascent. So if you've been here, you've, you've heard different speakers talking um, from the spot about the Psalms. Um, let me tell you a little bit about the Psalms of Ascent. You may know this, may not, right? So Jerusalem is a city on a hill. And the Jews traveled to that city three times a year, sometimes more, but for three major festivals they traveled to the city. And as they were ascending up to Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms together. They would, uh, they would encourage one another. If you can imagine a group of people or groups of people all traveling to the same destination, right? And they're, and they're singing. They may not be singing them all together you know, in dis- different spots, but they're singing them together collectively as they go to the, to the hill, to the temple in Jerusalem. According to some traditions, there were musicians at the temple as well. And the priests, as they were preparing to go into the temple, would actually sing the Psalms of Ascent as they took a step, each step up towards the temple. And so in total, there are 15 Psalms of Ascent, and there's 15 steps uh, to the temple uh, in Jerusalem. So those types of things are very interesting in and of themselves. But you wonder, uh, I wonder personally, what it was like to be one of those large bodies of people traveling, singing these psalms together, knowing that others around me were singing them, knowing the priests as they were heading into the temple were singing them, all intended to draw the people of Israel back to their God, back to the temple. Um, so these were not uh, necessarily a fortunate people, by the way. I think John's mentioned, mentioned it in a couple of his messages. Um, by our standards, um, these people were, were not in good shape, right? They were persecuted. They were uh, t- driven from their land. They were enslaved for years. And yet they still found occasion to call on their God and to praise Him and to be brought back to Him. So in a t- similar to way today, we'd love for you to join us on a journey. We're going to go through seven psalms today. We have seven different leaders here at Grace that are going to lead you through each one of those psalms. So imagine us traveling together as a body, hearing these stories, being reminded of the things that we've encountered together as a body. Not only uh, ancient history, but present, most recent history, and also be reminded of our um, hope and faith and trust and mercy that we receive from our Heavenly Father. So that's what we're going to do today, Um, and with that, I am going to turn it over to our first leader, Randall. I am in trouble. I feel so distressed. I am desperate for an answer from God. I need help. I need direction. I need relief. 
need protection. I need peace. When I was in trouble, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. I am surrounded by people who lie and try to deceive me. It's so hard to get a straight answer. The promises of the good life are totally elusive. I'm not getting anything I've been promised. And everywhere I turn, someone is trying to take advantage of me. They will outright lie to me and about me. Save me, Lord from liars and deceivers. Where is justice? Why don't the people who lie and deceive and do evil get what they deserve? Life is not fair. You liars, what will God do to you? How will he punish you? with the soldiers' sharp arrows and red-hot coals. I feel like a stranger in my own country. I'm surrounded by crude and hateful people. It's like I'm surrounded by barbarians who don't care for God or for me. They don't even get along with each other, constantly fighting, looking for trouble. I'm doomed to live in Meshach, cursed with a home in Kadar. My whole life lived camping among quarreling neighbors. I just need peace. I can't stand the constant pressure, the constant danger. My country needs peace. But how can there be peace when so many on every side are clamoring for war? I get shut down just for making the suggestion. I have lived too long with people who hate peace. When I speak of peace, they are for war. I feel so troubled. The only one I can turn to is the Lord. There's no one else. I'm in trouble. I cry to God, desperate for an answer. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. I want to share Psalm 121 with you, and you can read it over my shoulder if you'd like to. Um, Psalm 121 says, I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? No. My strength comes from God, who made heaven and earth and mountains. He won't let you stumble. Your guardian God won't fall asleep, not on your life. Israel's garden will never doze or sleep. God is your guardian, right at your side to protect you, shielding you from sunstroke, sheltering you from moonstroke. God guards you from every evil. He guards your very life. He guards you when you leave and when you return. He guards you now. He guards you always. 
Once we were on a plane, um, when the flight attendant stopped at our row to offer snack and beverage service, she asked Clary and Josie if they'd like a bag of pretzels. Josie was about five years old, and she said, no thank you, to the pretzels. So the flight attendant said, how about a cookie? Josie lit up, she's like, yeah, sure, I'll take a cookie. So the flight attendant dug around in her cart, and she pulled out a package of spiced almond biscuits, which many of you may know are absolutely nothing like a cookie. They're really hard, shaped like little windmills, and they're very nutmeggy and bitter and spicy. So she handed Josie the cookies and went on her way. Josie opened the package, she took a bite of the cookie, spit it out on the tray table, and she said, no way. I said, no way, what do you mean? And she said, no way, she's wrong. This is not a cookie. Sometimes I think that um, that's a bit like the way we approach Scripture. I think sometimes when we read a verse or a, pack or a passage or a text and we expect it to line up with our experience or our vocabulary or what we know to be true, and then it doesn't, a red flag goes up. Especially with the passages that someone encourages us to read, like this one, when we're scared or we're hurting or we're desperate. When on the surface it doesn't line up with what we believe to be true, we might believe on some level that the writer was perpetrating a fraud or in deep denial or possibly on glue. If it goes against what we believe to be true, we see a glaring mistake. Anybody ever had that experience? <laughs> um, we look at that passage and we think to ourselves, no, <laughs> no way, that's not a cookie. I think with this psalm, we might believe that our trust is better placed someplace else. We know from experience that, yeah, we've had sunstroke, we've had moonstroke, where's God? We've fallen, we've hurt ourselves, we've had problems in our marriage, we've had problems with our kids, we've had problems that seem completely outside our control, and where was God? Was he protecting us? Maybe not. <laughs> I think the problem with the surface reading is that it costs us a chance to learn a deeper and more profound truth, which in this case is that nothing happens in this world that can turn God's attention away from us or cause God to lose interest in us or separate us from God's love. God's covenant promise to us is that no matter what happens, His strength never runs out, and in Him, our spiritual security is eternally safe. I'm going to pray in just a second. But um, first, I wondered if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, which is a good Baptist thing to say. <laughs> bow your heads and close your eyes and just think to yourselves for just a second about where your security lies. Where do you place your trust? If you're looking anywhere besides Jesus Christ for peace, protection, strength and security would you talk to him about that silently for a minute would you ask him for a deep desire to place your trust only in him Father God, thank you for your gift of unfailing strength, love, and security. Forgive us our lack of faith 
our short memory, our short attention span. When we look to other things, Father, draw us back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to bring you the next psalm, which is Psalm 122. It's a pilgrim song of David. When they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. And now we're here, O Jerusalem, inside Jerusalem's walls. Jerusalem, well-built city, built as a place for worship, the city to which the tribes ascend, all God's tribes go up to worship to give thanks to the name of God. This is what it means to be Israel. Thrones for righteous judgment are set there, famous David thrones. Pray for Jerusalem's peace, prosperity to all you Jerusalem lovers. Friendly insiders get along. Hostile outsiders keep your distance. For the sake of my family and friends, I say it again, live in peace. For the sake of the house of our God, God, I'll do my very best for you. We are all pilgrims, whether we use that ancient word or not. Pilgrims seek identity And in this world, we can seek our identity in any number of people, places, or things. An athlete, a hero, a trend, a brand, a building. But for the pilgrims of God, we become pilgrims for identity in God and God alone. For 18 years... My mother was the church secretary for the Baptist church in Lower, Arkansas. I have many warm memories of those days because I was in kindergarten uh, within that very church building. And so after days in kindergarten, I would stay with my mother while she worked. And at lunchtime, she often read to me in the church library, which was right next to her office. And one day, she said, Christopher, and mind you, there was never the name Chris from my mother. It was always three precisely enunciated syllables. Christopher, go find a poem, read it, and then come read it to me. And I found this poem, it may be one that you have heard before. It goes like this. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, but mostly on the just, because the unjust steals the just's umbrella. (laughs) And when I read that poem to my mother that day, she, like you, broke out in laughter. And she called in other members of the staff there, even the pastor, and said, you got to hear this poem. Now, of course, at five years old, I had no idea what the world might teach me about justice or righteousness. But in the 44 years since then, I've learned a few things. 
Now, the psalmist speaks here of thrones of righteous justice or righteous judgment. Would it not be a temptation for every one of us in this room to believe that we could not truly enter into worship until we are righteous? That is, without flaw. But the psalmist also speaks to the throne of David here. David, a man made righteous through grace, a man after God's own heart, but a man deeply flawed. So own your flaws. Know that they are vaporized by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Enter into worship today and each day knowing that you are fully loved, fully embraced, fully forgiven, and fully adopted into the all-encompassing identity of Jesus Christ. Peace to you, my fellow pilgrims. I love this. If you were coming to be a passive participant today, I hope that you've thrown that that plan away. It's about being active today. Um, Next, we're going to explore Psalm 123 and specifically thinking about serving and waiting. So we are going to read Psalm 123 um, responsively. You will read the bolded portion together. Ready? I look to you, heaven-dwelling God. Look up to you for help. Like servants alert to their master's commands, like a maiden attending her lady. We're watching and waiting, holding our breath, awaiting your word of mercy. Mercy, God, mercy. We've been kicked around long enough, kicked in the teeth by complacent rich men, kicked when we're down by arrogant brutes. Heavenly Father, we praise you for being an ever-present source of help in times of trouble and conflict. We pray to you for mercy for the 5,000 children in Arkansas who are in foster care, for the estimated millions of orphans worldwide who are left to beg on the streets or suffer from human trafficking, for the 150,000 Iraqi Christians who fled their homes on the Nineveh Plains in August 2014 and are afraid to return home for fear of persecution, for those who are emotionally, verbally, or physically abused by family members or their leaders, for those who are unemployed or treated unjustly. We pray to you to show us ways to extend mercy, grace, hope, and love to the hopeless. How will you use us, Lord? We are going to sing, We Shall Overcome. It has been a civil rights song for over 60 years, heard not just in the U.S., but in North Korea, in Beirut, in Tiananmen Square. It began as a folk song, a work song, Slaves in the fields would sing, I'll be all right someday. A Methodist minister, Charles Tindley, published a version in 1901, and Pete Seeger adapted it in 1947. Bernice Johnson Reagan was a preacher's daughter who was part of the Freedom Singers in the fight for civil rights in the 60s. In an NPR interview in 1999, she said that she knew the song as I Shall Overcome, and she shared that if you want to express the group, you have to say I, because if you say we, we have no idea who's going to be there. 
She said, have you ever been in a meeting and people say, we're going to bring some food tomorrow to feed the people? And then you sit there on the bench and say, hmm, I have no idea what's going to happen. It is when I say, I'm going to bring cake, and somebody else says, I'll bring the chicken, that you can actually know you're going to get a dinner. So there are many black traditional collective expression songs where it is I, because in order for you to get a group, you have to have the eyes. In that fashion now, I'm going to ask you to respond. How is the Lord calling us? How is he calling me and you to serve others who are oppressed? It's time for what I am calling the Grace Collective, a response for us of questions and heart stirrings, and we have a couple of opportunities. We have a digital option. You can scan the QR code in your program if you just happen to have a QR code reader on your smart device. So looking at the bulletin, I can scan that, hopefully, if you have enough light, and it should take you right there, or you can enter the address that Donnie had listed. And if you don't happen to have a smart device and you just want a good leg stretch break, we have chart paper around the back of the room. There are two chart papers there with a marker, one at the back, three on the, uh, by the sound booth, and one on that door. And, um, we're going to sing, We Shall Overcome, and if you would, just put your responses. Um, I think this would be kind of a cool live art experience to see everybody's thoughts and see what the Spirit is saying to us as we participate together. Uh, I just want to set the stage for Psalm 124. So uh, when we looked at this the first time, uh, we talked about it as an anthem. And uh, it really is, is a, an expression of faith after the fact, after something kind of tragic has taken place. And the, I think the key thing that I walked away with from this and, and where I kind of maybe changed my interpretation of this a little bit was that on the back end of this, not everyone survived. <laughs> and so this... Um, acknowledgement of God's help. Just uh, We'll kind of do a call and response on this as well real briefly. But just keep that in mind as we read this. So, uh, And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the psalm as it's written, and then you do your part, but you'll see it actually is kind of meant to be this way too. So, uh, If God hadn't been for us, all together now, sing out. If God hadn't been for us, when everyone went against us, we would have been swallowed alive by their violent anger, Swept away by the flood of rage, drowned in the torrent, we would have lost our lives in the wild, raging water. Oh, blessed be God. He didn't go off and leave us. He didn't abandon us defenseless, helpless as a rabbit in a pack of snarling dogs. We've flown free from their fangs, free of their traps, free as a bird. Their grip is broken. We're free as a bird in flight. God's strong name is our help, the same God who made heaven and earth. Pray with me. Father God, I pray for those here and for our brothers and sisters around the world who are in the raging water right now. Father God, I pray that you would show your power to them and remind us of your faithfulness and give us tenacious courage and confidence in your help. Father, we thank you that your gospel is one of freedom and of flight. 
and not of fear. Father, we thank you for the big and small ways in which you save us from being swallowed alive by the chaos that we see in this world. You're a big God. Remind us that your strong name is our help. So as we look at the Psalm of Ascents, um, there's a bit of irony because we worship a God who fundamentally is identified by being a God of descent. Uh, He came to be with us, to save us. He came down into our reality uh, to save us. And we are part of a community that he has saved, that has persisted over generations because of his strong help through his name. Uh, And as we were looking at this the first time, Psalm 124, it struck me that, uh, and John kind of made the comment, he's like, the things that you fear most likely actually will happen to you. And uh, one of those for me is death. Um, and, and the reality for us is that we're all not going to make it. And so the question, uh, and actually none of us are going to make it, <laughs> so just to clarify that. So, uh, yeah, um, but so the question for me, though, is in this and now, I really can only imagine my own reality and the thing that I get to be a part of. And so the question that I'm asking myself and that I would challenge you to ask yourself as you go out today um, as a part of this service is this, this question. What is something that you want to see happen in our community, whether you're here to see it or not? What's something that we want to see happen, whether we get to be a part of that or not? What are we building towards? And as I look at our community globally, the the groups that we support, we saw Hannah earlier, but we support many others all throughout the world. Uh, We have family all over the world. Uh, Part of how we participate as that community and in that persistence is in giving. And so uh, during the next song, we're going to participate in offering. So you'll see some baskets go around and give online. There's a lot of other ways to do that, but that's part of what we'll be doing next. Grace Church, will you read Psalm 125 aloud with me? And then we will pray through the psalm as a responsive prayer. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. For then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be on Israel. God, we are thankful that you are perfectly trustworthy. Holy Spirit, reveal to us what we're trusting if it's not you alone. We're thankful that you are surrounding us right now. Open our eyes to see more of you. Lord, we are thankful that you are a God of justice and compassion. Empower us to trust your sovereignty and your timing. Thank you that you have compassion on us when we do not deserve it. Prince of Peace, thank you that you yourself became Israel's peace and our peace. Equip us to be ambassadors of your peace in Fayetteville, in all of Northwest Arkansas, 
in the ends of the earth. Amen. In a few minutes, as a symbol of our trust in God, we'll be coming to the communion table together. Um, in a nearby psalm, Psalm 23, David speaks of God as a wealthy and generous host, as he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Um, I thought this was an interesting way to think about communion. I feel like, personally, I think of it as a very individual thing. But we're going through the Psalms of Ascent together, trying to put ourselves in their shoes. And so um, I want to read a short excerpt from Kenneth Bailey's book titled, The Good Shepherd, A Thousand-Year Journey from Psalm 23 to the New Testament. He writes, Hospitality at meals is a critical aspect of traditional Middle Eastern culture. In the East, a man's fame is spread by, his, sorry, spread by means of his table and lavish hospitality rather than by his possessions. Strangers and neighbors alike discuss tables where they have been guests. Such tales spread from one town to another and are handed down from one generation to another. In traditional Middle Eastern culture, when you want the community to know that you have acquired wealth, you do not buy an expensive car or a large house with acres of grass around it. Rather, you host meals with three times as much food on the table as the numerous guests can eat. The modern Western way of showing off possessions assumes isolation and distance from the community. The psalmist imagery has to do with community life that is strengthened and solidified by shared meals. I want you to close your eyes now and use your imagination for a few minutes. Imagine the table and the host from this framework. Putting himself in a servant's role as well as a host's role, God himself has prepared a table before us at great cost. He gave his own life and body to bring us back into right relationship with him. Do you trust him? Imagine the table overflowing with the best food, the perfect offer of grace on this table, is infinitely more than you or I could ever need to cover our sin. And in fact, it's enough grace to feed everyone that approaches it. Do you trust him? Look around and see that you're approaching the table with other adopted sons and daughters of God. Imagine the ones from past history and also the generations to come. How huge must this table be to accommodate us all? Imagine how much food keeps appearing as we each eat to satisfaction. Just like the feast described in Revelation, look around and see sons and daughters from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Imagine the infinite resources the host must have at his disposal in order for this to even be possible. Do we trust him to lavish his grace on all of us? Imagine the face of our host as we approach. What does he say to us? Our God has his arms open wide with forgiveness and love. Notice that his unquestioning acceptance in the presence of a multitude makes your shame melt away. Do you trust his acceptance? Look down at your hands. They're empty. We don't bring anything to this table. It's not a potluck. He's providing it all and it will always be enough. Do we trust his righteousness? Our God's fame is spread by means of his table and lavish hospitality. 
Having eaten at this table, how do you feel? What do you want to say to the host? What will you tell other people about the food and the host who prepared it? As the worship team leads us in the next couple of songs, come to the table and eat freely of this fabulous feast. Let it remind us that we're putting our trust and our lives securely in the hands of a generous host. This is God being good to his people. This is the God we trust. This is our last psalm, Psalm 126. Um, I will read it in your hearing. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And now, God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives. So those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, do what you did at first. When you opened our eyes to see the dead-end road we were walking on. When you revealed the dark pit of despair we lived in. And when you made us aware of the chains of captivity that held us bound. God, how can we shout unless we remember the tears? How can we laugh unless we remember the despair? How can we rejoice unless we remember our captivity? Come, open, reveal. And make us aware. As I think about this psalm, I hear these words in my mind being faintly whispered. Captivity? What does that have to do with me? Um, I don't think I understand what that means. In my opinion, one of the most destructive lies of our day is that we are, mo- we are most free when we free ourselves from the leadership and involvement of God in our lives. This truth, the truth that does violence to human reasoning is that no one, no one is free. We either accept the gift of belonging to God in his kingdom or we continue under the oppression of the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of God is not like an upgrade from dial-up to Wi-Fi.
the kingdom of God is really, we've come from death into life. Today, we the church need the vivid and real experience of Israel. A nation belonging to God that he delivered and claimed for himself over and over and over again. Open your eyes to see the beautiful white wedding garment that he has placed over us. He's made us clean. And we are his. Guess what? Now, now is the time to smile. Now is the time to laugh. Now is the time to rejoice. God has done it. God is doing it. And God will do it. He will cause us to know and receive the gift of his joy. The joy that reminds us that we are no longer captives of this world. So let's stand and sing with this joy, the joy of the Lord. Mm -hmm. 